Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody. What a wonderful morning of worship. It's great to have some of our missionary partners here this morning worshiping with us. It's a privilege to be preaching to you all. Uh, we will be in Romans 13 if you want to go ahead and turn there. So thankful for uh, Neil and Tina Arwood for uh, reading this passage for us and praying for us. Well, I remember in third grade, my teachers would always give us a talk anytime my class was getting a little rowdy at the end of the school year. And the talk would always go something like, come on, guys, y'all are about to be in fourth grade. You need to start acting like fourth graders. And as little third graders who always thought that being in the fourth grade was so much cooler, so much more mature, we almost all collectively looked down at our desks and thought, man, Miss Stewart's right, guys. We need to start acting like we're about to go into fourth grade. And so while Miss Stewart's talk reached us that day, though we still acted like third graders, you can't just pull that out of us, I then began to notice a pattern from fourth grade all the way through eighth grade. My teachers gave this exact same talk towards the end of every single school year. It was like they would have a meeting in the beginning of May and say, don't forget, guys, this is now the time where we give the speech, where we tell the kids to act like the grade they're about to go in. And it's like they shared the same script every single year. It's not like we were doing anything crazy or we were just goofing around, right? Nothing crazy. But it would go all the way to Miss Bailey in fourth grade saying to me, you guys are about to go into fifth grade. You all need to start acting like fifth graders. Miss Schimmel in fifth grade telling me, you guys are about to go into middle school. You all need to start acting like middle schoolers. All the way to Miss Hughes in eighth grade, who was actually my second cousin. That made phone calls home really, really uncomfortable. But all the way to Miss Hughes in eighth grade saying, come on, guys, you're about to be in high school. You all need to start acting like high schoolers. You all need to start growing up. And while after third grade, I would start rolling my eyes at these speeches, at these talks, I look back on these talks now, kind of understanding the message that they were trying to send. And the message that they were ultimately trying to send was, as your identity changes, your actions and your life need to change as a response. And when I think of this as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are commanded to live in a certain way that is different than how we used to live and is different from what the world looks like how we lived in our old life, and we are to do these things because our identity has changed. We were once lost in darkness when we lived in our sin. But now, if you have been saved by the grace of God as a follower of Jesus Christ, that is your identity, and your life now is called to look different as a result. And as we read Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, we are commanded here to do a few things as Christ followers. And while we're going to talk about this passage and these commands more in depth this morning, I think it's first important that we are reminded of who we are as Christ followers. Because while it's crucial to see what we are called to do, it is seeing who we are, it is seeing our identity and being reminded of that that will drive us, that will guide us, and that will enable us to live out who we are called to be. 
And so as you see, the title of our message this morning is, Live Who You Are. Live Who You Are. Well, we will dive into Romans 13 in a moment, but I want us to visit a few other passages in God's Word so that we can be reminded of some foundational truths of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, don't worry about turning there. The verses are going to be up on the screen. And so some of these foundational truths, let's start with the first foundational truth. The first truth of who we are as Christians is that we are loved by God. That is the first fundamental truth as a follower of Jesus Christ. You are loved by God. We see this everywhere. And we see this specifically in Romans 5 eight. It sums it up so beautifully where Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says that even when you did the most offensive, most rebellious thing toward God, even when you were his enemy, God loved you. And he proved his love for you by giving his son for you even when you hated him and even when you rejected him. Jesus didn't say, I will only die for the ones who are good. Jesus didn't even say, I will die for those who are at least willing to change. He said, I will die for those who are at their worst. I will go to the cross in their place because I love them and I want them to see my love for them so that they may come to me and so that I may change them. Christian, you did not come to Jesus because of how great you are. Your eyes were opened and you came to Jesus because God loves you. And he loved you even when you were at your worst. And because you are saved by faith in Jesus, you can rest assured that you are loved. You are loved by God. The second truth of who we are as Christians is that we are spiritually alive. We are spiritually alive. Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What we see here is before we came to Jesus, we were not only people who made bad choices occasionally, and we were not even people who were good, but just needed to get their act together, just need to clean themselves up a little bit. No, Paul says here, before you came to Jesus, because of your sins and because of your heart, you were spiritually dead. You were a walking spiritual corpse because of your sin. Or as Pastor Sam would say, he loves to say this any chance he gets, we were the walking dead, right? I can't impersonate him. I just don't want to lose my job. So it wasn't just that we needed to make better choices or get our acts together. It says here, because of our sins, we needed to be brought to life again. We needed someone to bring us back to a spiritual life. And Paul says here that because of God's great mercy, his rich mercy, and his great love, even when you were dead spiritually in your trespasses, God brought you back to spiritual life with Jesus Christ. And that as Jesus rose from the dead, so did you. And so Christian, 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you see first that you are loved by God, and then you also see that you are alive because of God. Your soul is no longer in the grave. You as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, are alive. What a foundational truth. The third fundamental truth is, as a Christian, you are also described as a child of light. A child of light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. When we were spiritually dead before Jesus, we walked in darkness all of our lives. That as Jesus is the light of the world, we did everything we could to hide from that light. But as God has brought us back from spiritual death and has brought us back to life, God has also brought us out of the darkness into the light to where we are described here as children of light. We are now children of God in Jesus because we are adopted into God's kingdom. And now we are no longer people who are living in darkness. We are God's children living in the light. This is where we are supposed to be. And then finally, as a Christian, you are ultimately in Christ. You are in Christ. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when Jesus died, so did you in your old sinful life. And when Jesus rose from the dead, so did you. And now the life you live is forever united with Jesus. And that when God the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus over you if he is your Lord and Savior. I love the hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, where it says, One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hidden with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. And as Paul says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live. It's no longer my older self who lives. It is Jesus Christ himself who lives in me. Christian, the life you now live is a life forever united with Jesus, where he lives in you and that your life is hidden in his. These are glorious, foundational truths of the Christian life. And because of these truths, this is what guides what we do. This moves us. This doesn't just lead us to sit still where we are. This leads us to go. It leads us to act. It leads us to live a different life that we lived before. This identity, these identities are foundational for us and they fuel us in what we do when we walk with Jesus. And we're able to live out our identity. We're able to do these things and to obey God because we're loved by God. We're able to live the life that God has called us to because we are spiritually alive. We can show the world that we are God's children because we are children of light. And we can do all of these things ultimately 
Because we are in Christ. And that if you trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, these truths are who you are. This is what guides you. This is what encourages you when you're tempted to look at yourself and say, I cannot possibly deserve the love of God. Here's the truth, that even when you were a sinner, you were loved by God, that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And as we get into Romans 13, verses 8 through 14, Paul is saying, it's time to start living out who you are as a follower of Jesus. We can't wait until tomorrow. It's time now to start living out who you are as a follower of Jesus. And so to start in verses 8 through 10, we see that because we are first loved by God, Paul commands us to love others. Love others. In the previous passage, Paul commands Christians to pay to everyone what is owed to them, such as taxes and revenue and respect and honor. And Paul continues this thought in verse 8, saying that because you are expected to pay everyone all that they are owed, the only thing that you now owe and will always owe to others is loving them. He says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Now, to clarify, he's not saying here that you can't ever take out a loan or a mortgage or anything like that. But what he's saying here is, as a follower of Jesus, you are to love others because it is the debt of the Christian life. We can never love others, or we can, ever, we can never even love a particular person to a point where we can say, I have loved them enough. I am free from this debt. Loving others is a debt that we can never fully repay. But as Christians, it's something that we must always do. It's our debt. It's our obligation. And then Paul says that you are to love because it is the fulfillment of the Christian life. He says that you are to love because it is the heart of God's law. He says, love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. If you remember, Jesus was once asked by a Pharisee, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Summarize the law for me. And Jesus answered saying, well, the first and most important commandment is to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he wraps it up in saying, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And in Romans 13, Paul writes what Jesus preached. Think of the Ten Commandments. The first four are concerned with how we love God. And the last six commandments are concerned with how we love others. And Paul lists four of those last six, and then he just said, these commandments and other commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the fulfillment of God's law, the heart of God's law is to love God and also to love one another. As a follower of Jesus, what are you called to do in view of the mercies of God? Romans 12, 1. Love. Love one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, and you love your neighbor by obeying the commands of God. The Greek word here for love is agape. And you probably knew that either because you studied Greek 
or because you've been to a Christian wedding where they did a deep study on this word, right? And agape love, at its very core, is a selfless love that isn't romantic or based on feeling, but it is a love that's based on action, and it proves itself in its endurance. 1 Corinthians 13 describes this agape love and how it is never self-seeking, but it is always seeking to meet the needs of someone else and not expecting anything in return. And if I can be honest, I fail to love like this regularly. Loving someone without considering myself. And I would guess that that's likely a struggle for most, if not all of us. Because we naturally think about ourselves a lot more than other people. I love how Rob Green, a biblical counselor in Indiana says, in a culture that talks a lot about loving ourselves, the overwhelming testimony of scripture is that we love ourselves too much as it is. Now perhaps self-confidence is an issue, but the reality is we are constantly pursuing every moment of the day what we think is our greatest good, and we are thinking about that first before we think of anybody else. And so when scripture says here, love your neighbor as yourself, it means seek the greatest care and seek the greatest good of your neighbor as if your neighbor is you. And by the way, neighbor is not limited to people who love you and who treat you well. It's not even limited to fellow Christians. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone who is around us. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and Paul echoes it in Romans 12, love your neighbor, and that includes your enemy who hates you. It's easier to love those who love you well, or at least a little bit easier. But the true call of the Christian life is not just to love those who love you, it's loving those who don't. It's, as verse 10 says, doing no harm to a neighbor even when they desire to harm you. And how can we do this? How can we possibly do this? Because we are deeply loved by God. And he loved us when we were his enemies. My family has a lot of nieces and nephews under the age of 10. And there are times where they can get tired and cranky. And so that just leads to tears and toys just flying everywhere. It could be a total disaster sometimes. And often when that happens, they may have to get corrected for their behavior. But often when that happens, their parents come up to them and give them a hug. And then afterwards they say, yeah, it's because their love tank was empty. Didn't hear that before. And if we can be honest, our love tank can drain pretty quickly with people who are difficult to love. Can drain pretty quickly. And we can even struggle to love the people who we may consider easier to love. But what guides us, what enables us, what fuels us to love our neighbor as we obey the commands of God what does that for us is God's great love for us seen in Jesus. So because you are loved by God, love others. It's the outstanding debt of the Christian life. And as you are now able to, through the Holy Spirit that's inside of you as a Christian, you fulfill God's law 
and you obey his commands when you love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the next point is, because we are spiritually alive, we are commanded to wake up. We are commanded to wake up. As Paul commands Christians to love others, he then commands us to have a sense of urgency in our walks with God. Verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is near to us now than when we first believed. He says here that, Christian, it is time for you to live in a way that reflects your salvation, and it is time for you to wake up from a spiritual sleep. That because you are spiritually alive in Christ Jesus, it's time for you to live in Christ Jesus. He continues in verses 12 and 13. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. So what does it look like to live a life spiritually asleep? Well, as Paul lists the works of darkness here, what we can see is living spiritually asleep is still living parts of your life as if you were spiritually dead. Perhaps you are a follower of Jesus. You gave your life to him. He's freed you from the bondage of sin. But perhaps you may be spiritually asleep in some areas of your life because you still enjoy going back to the shackles every now and then that enslaved you to sin. You still wrestle with some addictive sins, such as drunkenness or sexual sins. You still tend to treat people poorly, whether it's arguing and quarreling with people or your heart just stays filled with jealousy and bitterness toward people. Or maybe it can be just as simple as you're just really distracted by the pleasures of this life, so much so that your calling in Jesus is just taking a backseat. We all, as disciples of Jesus, we still wrestle with sin and we still deal with distractions every day of our life. But perhaps in some areas, we can get careless and we can lack a sense of urgency to repent and to change our ways of living. And I want us to just be clear here. Paul isn't saying here that you're not a Christian if you are still struggling with being spiritually lulled to sleep. What he is saying is, if you belong to Jesus Christ, now is the time to wake up. That if you are spiritually alive, it's time to live spiritually awake. And the first step of that is to step away from the shackles and to step out of those works of darkness. And the truth of that is, it's because you're no longer a slave to spiritual sleep. You're no longer a slave to the darkness. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You are alive now, and it is time to wake up now. Don't hit the snooze saying, I'll love my neighbor next time, or I'll put the bottle down tomorrow. Paul says, now, the time has come for you to wake from sleep. Now, cast off these works. Now, don't just take a break from them. Leave them. 
And tomorrow isn't the time for you to do that. Now is the time for you to do that. And what is the reason for this urgency? Paul says, it's because Jesus is coming again soon. Jesus is coming again soon. The day where our salvation is completed, that is coming. We may not know the exact time that Jesus is coming, and do not try to guess that, because you will look very, very crazy if you do. But the certainty that followers of Jesus have is that he is coming again. That is a fact. And so as our complete salvation is near to us now than when we first believed, as Paul says here, as the night is far gone and as the day is at hand, because we are spiritually alive, it's time for us to wake up and it's time for us to put off the darkness. We need to put off the shackles once and for all. We need to stop living in our sins. It doesn't mean that it's time for us to be perfect. But it means it's time for us to live only for Jesus instead of living for ourselves. It's time that we stop living in the sin that we used to live in. And it's time that if we fall, it's time to get back up and keep walking with Jesus. And the first step is waking up. The first step is putting off the garments of darkness. And the reason for that, the urgency, the reasons for that urgency it's because Jesus is coming soon. He could come at any moment. But as we see here, we, just, we can't just take off our works of darkness and stop there. That's only half the battle. As we put off darkness, we then need to put something else on. We need to put on light. And as we saw before, because we are now children of light, we are then called to our next point, to put on the armor of light. To put on the armor of light. I love how in verse 13, Paul says that as we cast off the works of darkness, like we would cast off our garments, we are then to put on the armor of light as our garment, as, it's, as if we're wearing it. John Stott says that it's time for Christians to take off their night clothes and to put on what's appropriate daytime equipment for soldiers of Christ. Because the Christian life is not a sleep. The Christian life is a battle. In order for us to live in the light, the first thing that we need to do is we need to wage war with the darkness. We need to fight our sins. And that means that as we strive to step away from our sins and saying no to temptation, we also put ourselves in positions that lead us to, as verse 14 says, make no provision for the flesh. It's not just that we fight our sins head on with the armor of light, it's not just that, but it's that we also put ourselves in strategic positions to not let the sin get the higher ground in our lives, but to put ourselves in good battle positions. So for instance, if you are wrestling with alcoholism, you are not only called to fight the urge, you also need to position yourself where the temptation to drink isn't close to you. If you have alcohol in your house, then for the sake of your walk with God and for the sake of your love for others, those bottles need to go into the dumpster. On your way home from work, take the ways home where you don't pass the bar or the liquor store that you're used to going to. Have an accountability partner 
that prays for you, that checks on you, that corrects you and leads you to truth if and when you do stumble. And in the times where you feel most tempted, find something else to do during those times of day where you're tempted to drink the most. Let's say you're fighting sexual sin. You are not only called to fight the lustful urge, but you need to make changes in your life where lust doesn't take you captive. Maybe you need to download a software that blocks you from websites and, allow, and also allow someone to hold you accountable. I've heard great things about Covenant Eyes, which is a software. Or, more extremely for a season, maybe you need to throw away your laptop or your computer. Your love for God and your love for others is at stake here. This is a desperate fight that calls for desperate measures. You need to put yourself in positions where you're not alone during times of day where you may be tempted the most. If you're tempted to get on your phone late at night when you're tired and you're tempted to watch something that you shouldn't, plug your phone somewhere across the room to where you don't make provision for your flesh. And if the response to that is, my cell phone is my alarm clock, either make the effort to get up out of bed every morning to turn it off, or, hear me out here, just go get another alarm clock. They're like $10 at Target. It's incredible. If you're dating someone and you live on your own, do not hang out at the house just the two of you. You are making provision for the flesh if it is just you two watching a movie late at night. That is asking to give in to temptation. Strive to not put yourself in positions where it is just the two of you alone and you awaken lust. Hang out with a lot of other people. Have other people, have other couples to hold you accountable in fighting this temptation. Fight these sins. Resist them. Put yourself in position when the temptation is a mile away and when you see it from a distance, you're then able to change direction before it gets closer to you. If you are living in jealousy or hatred or anger and you just want to argue with everyone that doesn't agree with you, either spiritually or politically, if this is what you struggle with, then whatever fuels that in your heart, that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's a show or social media or a podcast or dare I say a group of friends. And that's not to say stop being friends with people, but maybe it's best to change the subject and, sh and trying to do that or just tuning them out whenever those kinds of conversations come up so that they may not invoke jealousy or anger inside of you. If listening to a podcast or watching a show or getting on social media leads you to become hateful towards a political party or a people group, then you may need to take a break from those things. Because while it may be true that perhaps a certain people group is living in sin or rebellion, your anger is leading you down a place of sin and in a place of rebellion. Instead of helping lead someone in love and in truth. If getting on Instagram or Facebook leads you to become jealous of others and their lifestyle, and that leads you to be filled with envy and covetousness, then you're not loving your neighbor well. And maybe you need to take a break from that for a little bit. Maybe taking a break from social media. 
Watch other shows and podcasts. Find other topics of conversation. Find other things to do with your time that doesn't fill you with jealousy and hatred, but fills you with life. That fills you with contentment and fills you with peace and with truth and allows you and helps you walk in godliness. This is putting on the armor of light. And whether these are temptations that you're dealing with or it's something else that's not on this list, I want to encourage you to consider pursuing biblical counseling here at West Park. We have an excellent group of counselors who would love to walk with you through these things and to help equip you in putting on the armor of light and growing in your walk with God in the midst of temptation. And all of this is to say, ultimately, the ultimate armor of light is prayer and grounding yourself in the word of God. That is truly putting on the armor. Because we can put all the strategies in place. And while those are good strategies and while these are good battle plans, it is ultimately God who fights for you. It's ultimately God who gives you that strength. Putting on the armor of God simply just means fully depending on God. And as he shows you the battle strategy, you go where he orders you to as a soldier. And we can put on the armor of light because as God has adopted us in Jesus, we are now children of light. We have been brought into the kingdom of God as his child. We have been brought into the light as his child. And praise God that because we are this, we have the Holy Spirit to walk with us and to help us and to guide us to fulfill God's law and to put on the armor of light in our fight against sin. And our final point is that because we are ultimately in Jesus Christ, we are to put on Jesus Christ. Verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what does it mean to put on the Lord Jesus? It means that as we are ultimately united in Christ, as we trust in him as our savior, we put on Jesus Christ when we live under him as our Lord. We are in him as he saves us, and we put on him as he leads us. And while that certainly looks like obeying his commands and obeying his teachings, that's what that looks like, it also looks like drawing closer to him personally, growing in fellowship with your Savior, growing in fellowship with your good shepherd. That looks like through prayer. That looks like through time in the word. And that looks like through worshiping him for what he has done for us. And praise God that we get to put on Jesus. We're able to put on Christ because by the grace of God, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. But then that leads me to ask this question to close. And that question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? And have you trusted him and with your life to love and to live for him instead of yourself. It's not that you're perfect, but it's that you trust that Jesus is perfect. And you follow him as the perfect Lord and Savior that he is. 
And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, I invite you to see his great love for you this morning. You didn't love God. You didn't even like him. And you were his enemy. And yet, while you were at your worst, while you were at potentially your most unlovable, God proved that he still loves you by sending his son to take away your sins and to pay for them himself. And he died for you so that you may live for him. He descended into the darkness so that you might come into the light. And he is inviting you now to come to him as your Lord and Savior. So I invite you, come to Jesus this morning so that you may be united with him in his death for your sins and that you may be united with him in his resurrection for your resurrection. And Christian, I urge you this morning, as I urge myself, love others because you are so deeply loved by God. Let your love tank be constantly filled by contemplating God's love for you. And as you are filled, pour into others that are around you. Find ways to love and to bless others because God has loved you and blessed you so perfectly well. You can never stop loving others because God has never stopped loving you. Christian, I also urge you, wake up from spiritual sleep. Whatever area in your life where you may perhaps be spiritually, honestly, lazy or careless or trying to brush something off because you don't think it's that big of a deal, being spiritually asleep is a big deal. Living in your sins that you are no longer a slave to, it is a big deal. And I know how easy it is to just hit the snooze and go back to sleep. But you are called to wake up, and you're called to wake up because Jesus has brought you to life. And put off the darkness. Because Jesus is coming soon. He is coming soon. Christian, I also urge you, as I urge myself, put on the armor of light in fighting your sin and living in righteousness. And do these things because you are children of light in the hands of your heavenly Father. It's not just that you put something off. you got to put it on, too. You have to put on the armor of light. And ultimately, for all of your days, in any situation, whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether temptation is near or temptation is far, for all of your days, put on the Lord Jesus Christ because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And let this identity, let these truths ground you and so that as you live out who you are, other people may know who Jesus is. Because Jesus says to his disciples, for people who know that you belong to me, they will know that because of your love for each other. They will know that because you abiding in my commands. And so notice, these commands, if we contemplate our identity in Jesus, as we contemplate these things, these are not burdensome commands. 
These are commands. These are, these are privileges to do. As God has poured out his love for us, it is an honor, it is a blessing to be able to love others with the love of Jesus. It is a blessing to be able to be free from darkness, to be free from the chains and walk in freedom. Freedom is so much more satisfying than slavery. Living spiritually alive, putting on the light, staying in the light is so much more joyful than living in the darkness where you're not seen. Putting on Jesus Christ, being in Jesus Christ is so much better than being in yourself. These commands, as we see who, who we are in Christ, these commands are not a burden. These commands are a joy. These are a privilege. Living out who you are as a Christian is fully living your life. Live who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your great power in raising us from the dead, opening our eyes, bringing breath to our lungs spiritually and physically. We thank you for your power. We thank you, Lord, for your adoption. You have, a, you have adopted us as your children. And Lord, thank you that we get to live under you as our Lord. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, for the Christians. I pray, Lord, give them the grace to live out who they are. And Lord, I pray for the unbelievers in this room. Bring them to life this morning. Show them your great love. Show them your mercy. Show them your power. Show them Jesus, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that they may come to you this morning. As a, and as they consider now who they are in you, Lord Jesus, that they may live who they are. That their identity becomes action. And I pray that for all of us, Lord. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us so much more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.